This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. In Syria, Kurdish forces are accusing Turkey of failing to abide by the terms of the U.S. brokered ceasefire, and its leaders are calling on Vice President Mike Pence to take responsibility for its enforcement. It comes as Russian leaders reportedly huddled in Syria today to discuss de-escalating tensions in the region. Holly Williams is near the Syrian border in Turkey. Good morning. The United Nations said the border between eastern Syria and Turkey was mostly calm yesterday, but there are reports of violations of the ceasefire by both sides. 14 civilians were killed by Turkish-led airstrikes and mortar fire, according to a Syrian monitoring group. 200,000 civilians have reportedly fled the area in recent days, and Turkish-backed militants have been accused of atrocities against Syrian civilians. The U.S. effectively opened the door to this Turkish incursion into Syria last week when President Trump announced that U.S. troops would be pulling back from the border region. Paul Violis is a CBS News security consultant, an accomplished author, and a renowned global security and law enforcement expert. With over 35 years of experience, he's dedicated his life to finding solutions for the problems that keep you up at night. This is Security Matters with Paul Violis. Welcome to Security Matters, where your security matters most. I'm Paul Violis, and this is a CBS News radio production. I uh, want to thank everybody just starting us off on uh, all the great comments on, uh, as always, every week. And just will continuously thank you about the stuff on Twitter and Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. Uh, great comments, great feedback. Uh, and, and just so that you know, today, another case where the things that so many of you wrote to us uh, via our CBS platform and Viola's group and uh, social media, just want to thank you for that because we are doing our show today is because of the subjects, the, the, the concerns that you posted, that that's why we're doing this today. Uh, again, hit us up on cbsaudio.com. Go to the, uh, the Security Matters page, and if you can, leave us a review. It's important for us, especially if you can take a couple of minutes and just do that. It won't take much time, but it helps us also as we continue to grow the show. And remember, in support of our Fraternal Order of Police monthly cold case show, those notes you can catch on violas.com. Those are real important. Your, uh, your observation, your participation in that is critical as we continue to try to help our law enforcement agency solve cold cases. So uh, remember, you are really, really important when it comes to that. Today, our military, the greatest military in the world, second to none, police for foreign nations or protectors of the USA. As we watch the Turks invade Syria as part of this nearly, what, 100-year debacle with the Kurds, of course, shortly after POTUS announces that the, US, uh, the U.S.'s withdrawal from Syria, our nation seems to be grappling uh, with what our military role should be. I don't know why, but yet there seems to be an off, not seems to be, there is a significant amount of that undercurrent going on. So to address that, 
We've asked our CBS News Radio military analyst and someone I consider to be a dear friend, General Dan Goodrich, to join us today. General Goodrich comes to us spending nearly 30 years, or spent over 30 years in the United States Air Force, retiring as a brigadier general. He completed his Air Force career at the Pentagon, serving as the deputy for Air Force Intelligence, and clearly we are honored to have him here at CBS News Radio as our military analyst. General, thanks so much for joining today. Well, thanks for having me, Paul. I'm uh, uh, pleased to be here with you. General, let's just start off right from the top. Uh, The decision to pull out of Syria, what do you think about that? Well, it should be no surprise uh, that the president decided to has decided to reduce the footprint overseas. Um, the only thing with this pulling out of Syria uh, at this particular moment uh, is that uh, we're leaving uh, our allies, the Kurds, in a in a bit of a lurch. Well, it's not a bit of a lurch; it's a huge lurch. Right. Uh, they're in the midst of a of a contracted uh, fight with the with the Turks. Uh, and by us t- taking our presence out, it, it allowed the Turks to go unencumbered into the into this uh, protected zone, so to speak, and uh, do what they will uh, with the Kurds that are there. Um, uh, again, uh, it, it's not a surprise that we're, we're, that the president is trying to reduce the footprint, but it seems to me that uh, we could we without leaving without leaving our troops there, we could provide some kind of cover for our, our, our allies, the Kurds, who have been with us uh, through battles for the last 20 years or more and have been a great ally. So that it, that is a, a bit disturbing. Now, General, when you talk about the Turks and the Kurds, I mean, we know that this is a debacle that's been going on for nearly a century, but you're, I mean, you're also a student of history. Is there any way, can you just kind of explain to us, maybe give us a little history so that our listeners can understand really the gravity uh, and the depth of the relationship that we have with the Kurds? Well, it goes back, the the Turks and the Kurds uh, fight goes back, like you said, over 100 years and probably more. Um, Back uh, after World War I, the, the, the Kurds, who are the fourth largest ethnic group in that area, were promised land uh, when the Ottoman Empire was defeated or fell apart. So they were promised this land uh, with with the treaty. And then a, a few couple of years later, the, another treaty uh, dissolved that one, that treaty and and did, did not uh, allow for the Turks to, or for the Kurds to have this land, this homeland called Kurdistan. It it, it fell into four other countries in that area. Okay. So it's it, this is not new. But recently, as in the mid '70s or so, is when the uh, Turks got uh, more organized. The, I'm sorry, the Kurds got more organized and started uh, fighting for their land and their autonomy, and and they and started fighting the Turks underground with what we would consider, and and most people would consider, with some terroristic approach to uh, of, uh, winning their land. So it, it, this is not anything new, but the problem is it's, it's uh, in the meantime, uh, in, our, in our dealings in the Middle East and in that area in particular, they've been a good friend to us and, we, and fought many battles with us. So that's, that's where they, it, it gets a little sticky in how you handle this situation. And that's the thing too, General, that I, that I think is so important for all of our listeners to understand is that sometimes... When it, you know, I want to say definitely sometimes, clearly maybe more than that, but 
you know, we have reasons why, as the American military, we make certain decisions. We find that certain alliances are best for us. Uh, it may not appear overt to people looking from the outside, but clearly there's a reason. I think, and this, listening to you, and, you know, certainly, you know, what I know pales in comparison to what you know on this, but I think that our relationship with the Kurds is very important strategically in that region as it relates to you know, the, the relationship, not relationship, but the, you know, the situation that we have with Syria. So I found, regardless of how many people the American military has or had or will soon to have been had in that area of Syria, it was still important for us to make sure that for no other reason we were there to, to help out the Kurds. Would you say that, am I off base on that, General? I mean, what do you think? No, no, you're spot on, and I and I tell you that the, the answer to that's twofold. It's important for us to maintain a relationship with the Kurds and to show them um, uh, that we're their ally in their time of need, and when they've been our ally in our time of need in that area. Great allies, great friends. The other part of that is uh, it, it. We're developing. We have allied relationships all over the world. In, in this area in particular, and other countries have to un, have to believe that we will be there when when they need us. So you're you're kind of setting a precedent by pulling uh, by leaving the Kurds there to fend for themselves. Other countries may, in the back of their minds or in the back of their strat, uh, strategic buildup, think, right. "I wonder if the Americans will be there when we need them." So I, I think overall we need to support the Kurds in that area, whether it be with uh, airstrikes or just uh, it, a, a lot of it has to be a very strong diplomatic push, which is I, what our country is doing at this point. But if that doesn't work, it's got to be more to it than just diplomacy. Right. Now, you know what, too, when we look at this, I know that the president, when, he, when, when President Trump campaigned, he campaigned on reducing our footprint in the Middle East, and and we're gonna, and you and I we're going to talk about here in a couple of minutes. And I understand his position. It's you know certainly coming from, you know this uh, very dominating chief executive officer in the private sector to now the chief executive officer of the United States and you know the leader of the free world. But sometimes I I I have to scratch my head for a second and say, are we being penny wise and pound foolish when we sometimes maybe myopically looking at? We shouldn't be spending the money there. Now, I get we're spending a ton of money. I get that. I'm in that. But sometimes we need to spend money where it may not be obvious to the American citizen as to why we're doing it so that we have that a little bit of insurance. You know, having you know, been downrange, we understand that those relationships can really come in handy in a pinch. Would you say that that may be applying here? Uh, absolutely. I, uh, and I'll tell you, the... Uh, the part of this that is sometimes a little bit harder to see is the fact that uh, why are we, why do we even have a hundred people in this area of the world? And why, why are we still in some other portions of this part of the world when, uh, when it doesn't appear that we have a real interest there? You know, sometimes with, uh, oil and other economic uh, interests seem uh, to take. Uh, front stage with some people, and they say, "Well, that's why we're doing it." That's not necessarily true. The main reason we're we're fighting any of these uh, incursions, any of these problems over there, 
in their that part of the world is to allay any possibility of having to having to fight them on our 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 shores here in the United States uh, hasn't happened, and there may and the reason for that is because we've been taking the the fight over there and maintaining uh, our presence in that part of the world. Now, do I think we need to increase that, or, or do I do I think we need to increase that, or or do more of it? No, I don't think I don't think that's the truth. But I think there's a reason we're we're over there is for is to to maintain a presence there so that we can uh, won't have to fight the battles here. And I think that really comes to my next question, General, and that is, you know, should our military be used as police? And and I want to before even we lob that question out firmly, one of the things that I want all of our listeners to understand to piggyback on something that General Goodrich just said. In the security world, whether that be national security where the onus is upon the Oval Office to ensure the safety and well-being of our country, our soil, and our citizens, it also we also need to understand that when the proper security measures are in place, whether that be in a corporation, it could be in a building, it could be uh, in a county, it could be in a country. When the proper security measures are in place, they clearly serve as a deterrent for adverse action. So we need to be careful and judicious in how we evaluate the quote-unquote, it hasn't happened yet, or you know, we've not had a problem here, so I guess we're okay. That really begs the question, why haven't you had a problem? And ladies and gentlemen, the answer is the reason why we haven't had a problem is because we have good security. That's why we haven't had a problem. So that could mean something as simple as, you know, you put up access control in a building and you have a security officer there and it's never been robbed. Well, it hasn't been robbed because you have the security officer there. So if you say, let's, why spend the money for the security officer because we've never been robbed? Well, that's just basically giving you the same example General Goodrich is doing. It's, we start pulling people away from certain places, then you know what? They take the battle to our shores. So please take that into consideration and under advisement the next time that you're sitting around talking about, you know, should we be spending the money? Should we be doing this? The money that we invest by our military presence globally is the, one of the very reasons why we don't have people coming on our shores. General, am I, am I on base there? Do we need to modify that? What do you think? No, no, you're, 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 again, you're, um, you're exactly right. Now, uh, the, the, the balance is, is where the, where the real crux of the question comes up is how balance. much is enough? Okay. You know, how much is enough? And, you know, that it, it, I'm a, I'm a big believer that we need to continue our presence overseas but in the, in the same breath, uh, I think the idea of drawing down and, and reducing our footprint in some places is, is just fine. I think it's not only just fine, I think it's absolutely necessary. Because at some point, uh, at some point you, 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 you got to leave the defense of uh, countries up to, the, to them. And in this case, um, in this part of the world, the Europeans and, and, and the Middle Eastern countries and, can weigh in and, and defend their part of the world uh, a little bit more. So I agree that um, pulling back and, and reducing footprint is, is critical. However, there is a balance to that, and you hit, you hit, it, you hit the nail on the head by saying, you know, just because it hasn't happened, why is that? You've got you to realize that part of the reason is because you've had a presence 
uh, and you've kept you've kept the uh, the onus on them to to uh, uh, not do that, uh, not for the um, uh, bad bad cr- uh, players not to be able to do that easily to us over here in the United States. Right. Well, you know, it's it's, it's the presence too, right? I mean. And a lot of people have been listening, you know, to things that have, you know, because here at CBS News Radio, we get just a ton of information from people all over. And uh, I've been listening to some of the things that people have been saying relative to, you know, the poor Turks. So why, why, are, why are we doing this to Turkey? Now, let's set the record straight. And again, everyone listening knows I am apolitical. So this is not a political statement. The Turks have a long standing history of being overly pugnacious, overly truculent with the United States as it relates to the manner in which we communicate, this is, this is no, you know, we are not on virgin territory here. This is something that's been indicative of the government for a very long time. We have, we have known this. So we need to take caution before we start throwing the United States under the bus to say, you know, we are really hurting the poor Turks. Don't stop, because that's, that's just not true. That's not true at all. So now we ask the question, should our military be used as police? And, you know, generally you say, and, and to your point, right, there, sometimes yes, sometimes no. But the, the answer to that is, should they be used as police? And the answer to that is, if it will benefit the United States, yes. And that's why the general said, balance is key. Part of us here in the United States, we have to understand we're Americans. That means that we're, we're about advanced citizenship. We get it. So if we truly get it, then understand that we do have the greatest military in the world because they are making the decisions that have kept us free of these folks coming on our shore. So let's take that into consideration. General, my next question. How do we develop for, and I, let me digress, to the best that you can explain this without saying things that we shouldn't, shouldn't say, how do we develop military strategy as far as where we go and how long we stay? Well, that's, a, you know, that's kind of the $60,000, $64,000 question. The Pentagon spends an inordinate amount of time uh, developing different different courses of action so they can work through military strategies and and uh, to determine what's the best course of action, how long to stay, where to stay, who to who to uh, set up alliances with. So uh, the the idea is how do you develop that? You develop it by understanding the minds and hearts of the peoples that you're either there to help or are the peoples that you're fighting against. So the bottom line to all that is it's there's no set formula to say on day 1 you do this and day 10 you're here and and you you have to you have to determine uh what works best for for the area and the and the mission that you're trying to accomplish. Um that's kind of a non-answer, but if you really think about it, every situation is different. And the the idea the the good news is is that we're blessed with uh, some great military strategic minds in our uh, armed services and from the Secretary of Defense on down. So, uh, And we've developed that through years and years of training, and it allows us to be able to make uh, the right judgments 
make the right alliances, and, and, and make the right uh, decisions as you flow through different situations. You know, an overall strategy is important, but the best part about uh, the strategies that we have is that we have the flexibility to adjust to the situation at hand. And also, General, too, and I've learned this a lot from you over the years, is that it's not just what we see today. I mean, clearly, we must obviate in our overall military strategy, but it's also being able to anticipate, right, what we may need down the road. And, and let me offer everybody an example before I toss this back to the general, is that part of our military strategy is a collaboration of our intelligence community that provides key information and, and in critical scenarios, not about what's happening today, but about what's happening in the world and what we can anticipate in the weeks, months, and years to come. Much of our military strategy takes that under advisement so that, I digress for a second, but when I say, you know, when we're, talk, we're talking about the Kurds, and the general's talking about the Turks and the Kurds for about 100 years, but why they're important to us, rest assured, there are relationships like that that we have with the Kurds. We have that around the world. And we have that because sometimes the best way to look at it, ladies and gentlemen, is it's, a, it's an insurance chip. You hope you never have to use it, but if you have to use it, you want to make sure that it's there to use and it's there to use expeditiously. The best case scenario, the best example, the best analogy that I can give you is this. You do somebody a favor and they're extremely grateful. You say, don't worry about it. No problem. And, and they'll never forget it. You may never come back to that person to hit them up for a favor back. But if you do, you know, they're going to be receptive because you took care of them. Well, I ask you to take that into consideration when you sit back and you start asking yourself, why are we spending the money for this? And why are we in certain places? Because sometimes the answer isn't as cut and dry as you may think. Are we police sometimes? Yes, but we are so, so that that particular risk, that nefarious group doesn't end up on our shores, so we take it to them. We've been very passive in the eight years prior. This is a fact. Again, it's an apolitical statement. We have been very passive in the eight years prior to our existing president sitting in the Oval. And unfortunately, we got punched in the damn face. Now, I will tell you as a consultant, that owns a firm that has just over 500 souls with a flag on the ground in 12 countries and we take care of clients all over the world, the American brand got weaker over that administration because, quite frankly, when you have a president running around apologizing for the country, you lose a little bit of strength. And we did. We've, we're gaining it back. And I understand that there's a little bit of people being unsettled about this, but... Before I toss back to the general, remember that these decisions that our military leaders, like General Goodrich did for over 30 years, and like so many other great military leaders in the history of our country have made, they make these decisions with a plethora of intelligence about what's good for us today and what may happen to us tomorrow. So please take that into consideration. General, as we, as we close this out, your closing message to the American people about our military, what do you want them to know? It's, it's, it's the best in the world. It is the best in the world, and I know that sometimes it's over, overhyped. 
but uh, the, the beauty of our uh, military is, is not the machinery, which is great, and it's, it's not the, all the bombs and the bullets. Those are great. It's the people. And we and it's the people and it's the, and I call it training, but it's just the 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 lives and the the uh, the th- things that uh, they have been through as they come up through the ranks into the leadership position. So you the American people can rest comfortably that um, their military will do the right thing and will do it with a lot of forethought, with a lot of. Um, we we call them strategy sessions, but uh, with a, a lot of um, a lot of thought towards what is the benefit of what we're going to do to our country. What is the benefit for our country when we uh, d- do different missions, and how is that going to help our country? That's not to say that other countries aren't important to us. They are. All of our allies, uh, the, you know, we're a, a, a very, uh, very interested in, in uh, our allies and, and their comforts and, and making them safe. But when it boils down to it, we're, the United States military is here to defend this country, this way of life, and our Constitution. So, uh, I'm, you know, I may be a little uh, skewed in my view, but I will tell you, uh, it's, there's no other organization that I would ever want to have been a part of than, not, than our, the United States military, because it's, it's that good and that important. Last question, General. Fair statement, yes or no? There's an awful lot of information that the American public does not know, will never know for their own protection, but that's used on a daily basis to keep all Americans safe and to keep our American soil safe and free from the nefarious individuals, the evil individuals that are, we take the battle to outside the United States. Is that accurate? Not accurate. No, oh, you're exactly right. There, there's so much known that yeah, doesn't need to be out in the public domain. It's not that uh, anybody's keeping secrets. But there are certain things that it's just best that uh, you allow the people that are trained to, to take care of it to actually uh, to accomplish the task at hand. So I'm, uh, you're, you're spot on again, Paul. That's it's uh, there's there's there are secrets, um, but there are really no secrets in, in that. Uh, the bottom line is whatever the United States military is doing is doing for the good of this country. And that's the thing that I really hope as we close for today. Uh, that everybody remains focused on. There may be things going on that just don't appear to be smart or cost-effective, and I get that. And there's a lot of times, too, that you know I sit back and say, I wonder why we're doing that. But at the end of the day, listen to what General Goodrich is saying. Um, there's so much of that that we have to be able to sit back and say, you know what? They got it. They have it for a reason. They are unselfish patriots, that protect our country uh, from, from rank to rank. So just keep that in mind. And I know that we, we grapple with this. Are we, why should be in another country policing them? Well, if we get to a point where we feel we do not need to be there anymore and we do not have a direct or collateral effect on, on the preservation of our freedom and the protection of our shores, then I, I feel confident, General, I feel confident that we'll make that move to get out of there. And if we haven't yet, 
then there's got to be a reason why. I agree totally, Paul. I agree totally. At some point, you just, you just got to have faith in, in uh, those who are trained to do, uh, do and, and lead this country. Perfect. General, as always, I appreciate you taking the time. It's always great speaking with you. Uh, and look forward to having you back on in the very near future. Thanks a lot, Paul. You're listening to Security Matters in the CBS News Radio production. Stay with me. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Chris White from Freedom Hard is going to tell us what he's doing uh, to take care of all of our great veterans. So stand by. We'll be right back. Stay with me. A meeting that's going on right now could decide the future of U.S. allies in Syria, and the U.S. has no part in it. A ceasefire in northern Syria is due to expire later today. It's also the deadline for Kurdish forces to withdraw from the area as Turkish troops move in. If the fighting resumes, Kurds who help the U.S. fight ISIS will be at risk along with many civilians. Turkey's president just began talks with Russian President Putin to discuss Syria's future. Holly Williams is in southern Turkey near the Syrian border. Holly, good morning. What can we expect as this fragile ceasefire runs out? Good morning. Well, Turkey's president Recep Tayyip Erdogan has threatened to, quote, crush the heads of Kurdish-led forces if they don't fully withdraw from the Turkey-Syria border by tonight when that ceasefire runs out. So the stakes are very high as President Erdogan meets with Russian President Vladimir Putin. The future of eastern Syria could be decided at their meeting today. Russia's poised to step into the power vacuum the U.S. left behind when President Trump ordered U.S. troops to leave eastern Syria earlier this month. Now, back to Security Matters with Paul Violis. Welcome back to Security Matters. A CBS News radio production, but you knew that already because I told you before. This is Paul Violas, and as I mentioned before we took our break, I've got my buddy Chris White here from Freedom Hard who's going to be filling us in on all the great things that we all know that Chris does on a continuing basis, but wanted to make sure that we keep Chris in the loop here at Security Matters so we always know what he's doing. Chris, what's up, buddy? Hey, man. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Always, man. Always. Come on. I know you've got great stuff going on all the time. So tell us what's happening just briefly, though, Chris, because, you know, since we joined CBS and the show's blowing up, it's doing great. Probably a lot of people listening that may not have had the pleasure of listening to you before. So how about a real quick soundbite on Freedom Hard and then tell us what's going on? Yeah, man. So we just uh, kicked off a a really exciting project. Um, So for anyone who's new to Freedom Hard, uh, two and a half years ago, we wanted to create a brand to use humor to showcase patriotism. And you fast forward a couple of years, and we got involved into commercializing whiskey, cigars, coffee, apparel, etc. However, uh, about a month, uh, month and a half ago, we decided to uh, embark on a brand new adventure, and we decided to fight against uh, those that like to censor those who appreciate free speech, and we created a brand new social media network uh, that truly supports and exhibits exactly that. So there's absolutely no censorship. It fully supports free speech and a ton of freedom, and everybody can go to that uh, new social network that's brand spanking new on freedomhard.com. Oh, man, that's fantastic. So now when people, for people to learn more about how they can follow and be part of uh, Freedom Hard and also be able to buy some of the great stuff that you've got out there, man, especially, listen, you know, the cigars. I mean, but I'm being overly myopic, but you know what I mean. How can people learn more about Freedom Hard? How can they join you? How can they, you know, kind of really jump into that Freedom Hard race? 
Sure. Everything's uh, consolidated on freedomhard.com. So now uh, we've converted the platform that houses the actual social network itself. So it looks and feels and operates kind of like a hybrid between Facebook and MySpace. And it's, uh, you know, very intuitive, very user-friendly. And so anyone can go there, create a, a free account. Um, if you just want to be a normal user, you can do that. You can go on there and you can create and join groups. You can also bring your own businesses over there, just like you operate similar with uh, with Facebook. And so if you go to freedomhard.com, you just plug in some basic information, you have your user account, and you'll be able to join the thousands of others who've already done so over the past three weeks. Well, I can tell you what, brother, when I, uh, I don't, I mean, uh, hopefully I'll know how to do it, but I'm going to give it a shot. And if I can't, then I'll, I'll have to hit up my producer, Julie, to do it. But I'm going to give it a shot, man, because I definitely want, obviously, to continue supporting you because you know how much I believe in everything you do. But also, because uh, I'd love to be a part of it and I do need some more cigars. So there you go. I think there's, 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 there's some great reasons right there, man. Yeah, there's a bunch of synergies. Yeah, we'll save a couple of boxes of cigars for you. Thanks, brother. And listen, before we close, the most, most first and foremost to me, and as we close this, this segment, why Freedom Hard, man? Why'd you do it? Why, why, why have you dedicated your life to this? I'm somebody who believes in patriotism, and that falls underneath the hierarchy of freedom. It's been said before a long time ago that freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. And that means it's, it's, it's upon us to, uh, you know, have the obligation and responsibility to make sure that there's longevity for things that are worth fighting for, like free speech and like being free. And that's what makes us the greatest nation in the world. Well, God bless you, brother, and I will continue to support you. I am going to register on your new social platform, which I think is great. And, you know, this is an example. That, remember, everybody, Freedom Hard is a veteran-owned, veteran-run company. And Chris does something that's really unique in trying to bring humor to people that are really in need. Like, not that we all aren't, but, but veterans that are really in need of it. So let's, let's dedicate some time. Go check out freedomhard.com. Follow Chris. I know that I'm going to. I believe in him. He's a guy that you really can believe in. He's definitely one of the good guys. So, Chris, continued success, brother. I really appreciate you. And uh, I'm definitely going to be signing up, man. I'm, I'm, I'm jumping on that new platform. Absolutely, man. We're looking forward to it. Thanks for having me on, Paul. Appreciate it. You got it. We're going to take a quick break. We come back. We'll close for the day. Stay with me. Now, back to Security Matters with Paul Violas. Welcome back to Security Matters. I'm Paul Violas. As we close for today, I just want to leave you with a couple of thoughts. Um, part of the beauty, which I love about radio and audio, right, is the fact that we get to touch a lot of people. And uh, even though you know I haven't been a big social media fan, it is definitely a manner in which a lot of people communicate. And I'm into it. I get it. I, I completely support it. So, so many wrote in about our position as a country and what the president's decision was about moving people out of Syria. And I, I understand that there's a lot of confusion. I get that. I understand that right now in our country, there's a lot of division. There's this disdain-filled rhetoric that keeps floating out of Washington. I get it. But here's what I'm asking you. Listen to what General Goodridge said. And, and I leave you with this thought. For all, coming on now 40 years, I have been serving our country. And, and I will tell you unequivocally that there may be plenty of times when all of us, including me, will sit back and say, why in the world are we doing that? Why are we not out of Afghanistan? Why are we there? Why are we there? I get it. You're entitled to that. It's part of the beauty of being an American. You're entitled to that. 
And you should exercise that thought like you did writing in. But please listen to the message today. And, and General Goodrich is the first one to say, yes, it needs to be balanced. You're, you're absolutely right. But trust me on two things, and that is the best security is what you don't see. You get a benefit because of the things we put into place from a security perspective, and, and it leads to zero adverse or limited adverse reaction. You remove that because you don't see any adverse reaction, and then you, start, you will start that. And I'll give you a couple of analogies as we close. If you work at a, at a, at a, at a prison or a jail, and you're touted as that one facility, that one institution that's never had a prison break, that's never had an escape, because you incorporated such extremely tight security measures. And then some powers that be look at and say, well, we need to cut the funding, so let's cut back some of the money we're spending on some of these security measures, because obviously we haven't had an escape. Well, you haven't had an escape because you incorporated the security measures. Take away the security measures, don't be shocked if you have an escape. We incorporate certain procedures in the protection of our country because we understand that it's preemptive. Yes, we clearly have taken a more aggressive role overseas. And I have to say, I'm very happy about that because we need to make sure we keep this off our soil. Sometimes I think, with all due respect to all Americans, sometimes I think we've gotten fat and lazy. And we need to understand that freedom is not free. It never was, it never will be. We are the greatest country in the world because we earned it and we continue to earn it. And we can't ever forget that. So the question, should our military be police? Well, sometimes if it means policing a certain country and helping them be self-sufficient so that that problem is contained and that cancer doesn't grow, then the answer is yes. And if it doesn't and it won't help the United States in one way, shape, or form, then no, and that's your answer. And the last but not least question is, how do we know? You don't, but you gotta trust. Because so far, we're batting a thousand. Nothing's been coming to this soil. We don't want it to happen either. So please remember that. On behalf of everybody here at Security Matters, we appreciate everybody writing in and staying with us. Uh, any other thoughts, hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, violas.com, smoke signals, whatever you feel like doing, let us know, and we definitely want to cover it. Have a great week. Be safe, be well. God bless. Thanks for listening to Security Matters with Paul Violas. The podcast is produced by Seth Nyman and CBS News Radio. For more podcasts from CBS News, visit cbsaudio.com slash podcasts. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. Okay. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? 
There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sant from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, early and ad-free on Wondery Plus, starting May 1st.